0: Welcome to What's Korean Cinema 21 on 1000 years old Fox, and way before his kidnapping by Kim Jong-il or possible defection to North Korea, Shin Sang-ok honed his important voice in South Korean cinema by creating diverse work, ranging from the gritty documentary-style thriller Flower in Hell to this widescreen period horror epic about a familiar trope or familiar content within Korean film and TV by now. Therefore, the fox spirit takes center stage in Thousand Years Old Fox from 1969. Uh, with me to discuss the wild biography uh, once more, because it's been a while, of Shin sang okay yeah, and uh, his depiction of uh, another version of uh, the evil Korean women, I suppose. Uh, uh, with me to discuss that is Hangos, Elleroys, Paul Quinn. So say hi, buddy. Hi, guys. So uh, there's never-ending source of another nuance of evil. This is supernatural evil, <laughs> like color me intrigued right? Or is this? You you do, do you want a realistic evil Korean woman or the supernatural evil Korean woman?
1: Oh, any evil Korean woman's fine by me. Supernatural, real, they're all love them all together. Love them all.
0: But when you went to Korea, you didn't go there expecting, like, evil Korean women mistreat me, like, it wasn't that to anything, like, you seem to make friends over there, good natured, good natured relationships built and the bread and all of that, but I say Korea trip, like, Korea trip, why would Paul leave the confines of Blighty, old Blighty, (laughs) but he did, so... I did. Why did you go to Korea and then uh, was it just for vacation or was it for work for those people who don't know? So the floor is yours. What happened?
1: I was essentially invited by COFIS, which is the Korean office for international cultural exchange, to go over. And, you know, they, they see that I write loads of stuff about film, 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 film. And they said, come over to Korea and immerse yourself in Korean culture firsthand as long as you report on it, we'll pay you to come. So they flew me out, put me up in, you know, the Ritz-Carlton for 10 days, ferried me around from, I mean, it was intense. We were, we were on the coach at 8 o'clock every morning, and we didn't finish till about 11 o'clock at night. And then you had to write up stuff when you got back to the hotel. But it was incredible. It was the best 10 days of my life without question.
0: You know, how much did it hit you, having been a fan for so long, once you did, step on Korean grounds? Was it that kind of experience? Or are you one of those that it doesn't hit until afterwards how immense it was? you know. Could you soak it in, in the, in the now, so to say?
1: It, it, it hit me both then and since. I haven't been able to settle since I come back. I keep thinking about it. It just goes round and round in my head. But from the minute I stepped down and, and went to the hotel and saw what was going to happen, it's just, you know, I mean, they, they set up the opening night of, of the Busan International Film Festival. How long have I wanted to go to that? Mm-hmm. You know, and you're you're turfed in. You get sitting down, and within ten minutes of sitting down, Son Ye Jin's walking past you. You know, and you're just like, I can't fit this in my head. So in the space of about half an hour, you know, I was I was watching Son Ye Jin, Jindo Yun, who we've talked about a lot, Song Kang Ho.
0: Does the camera? fool us into thinking that she is, John Deon, that young looking despite being that so to say old, or is it all like it appears on screen?
1: It's even more than it appears. You look at both her, Moon Sonya Sonia Jin, you look at them in real life and you just you can't fit it in your head. You just think they're even more stunning than they are or they appear to be when they're on screen. They're they're incredible. It blew me away. I I was left speechless. I actually filmed it. There's a thing on my site of a little little video of the the opening night of Busan, and I had to actually go in and edit it to take out all the camera shakes because I was standing <laughs> there, and my, my camera was going up the, and down. Uh, and they weeping the, as well. Well, exactly. and, and the Which is nothing constant. wrong.
0: There's nothing wrong with that. Like, like, you, you should turn the camera to yourself. It's so beautiful.
1: <laughs> I actually took a lot of the audio out and replaced it with music because... Otherwise, you'd just hear me going, will you get out of my way? I'm trying to film. Move, move. And I mean, aside from the film stuff, I mean, the film stuff was great, but seeing a lot of things that I wouldn't have gone to myself was sort of a good thing because they were experiences. I mean, all the K-pop stuff, I wouldn't have gone near, but it was very interesting to see it all. So Mm -hmm. an incredible 10 days. And I did get tortured and beaten up by a Korean woman. So... Check. There you go. <laughs> Check. Uh,
0: like the 100-item like, like the long bucket list just devoted to being ill-treated by Korean women. Like, there's 100 items on there.
1: That's exactly what it was. So, you know, I have no complaints, but as I say, I can't settle.
0: Like, I brought my hammer. I know you're not the old boy guy, but could you just whack me over the head with a hammer? It's on my list.
1: Like, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't even bring the subject up. We went to... A, big palace one of the the biggest palaces in seoul and as we went in one of the interpreter ladies just went by the way i'm gonna beat you up when we get in here and <laughs> we we actually went to an area where they set it up so that you can be tortured like they were in in olden days and she tied me up she beat me she threw me yeah it was phenomenal
0: that's, that's how we treat our visitors. <laughs> that's how we treat
1: our visitors. Do you like it? Do you want some more?
0: Yes. <laughs> I love Korean film.
1: Maybe maybe no more needs to be said, but...
0: But uh, sh- surely not the last uh, last time you go over there. Like you, you, You've got the bug now. I'm sure you can afford a trip or two over the course of your lifetime to go there on vacation, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, all I'm trying to do now is trying to find a legitimate excuse. I'd like to go and do the whole of Busan but I'd also like to go just as as me rather than having to go and work, if you know what I mean. So I, I wouldn't mind a couple of weeks of just being able to do what I want and not having to write it up afterwards or anything. So I'm, I'm torn between the two. But there will be a trip this year and probably next year and the year after. It blew me away. I adored the country and I, I hate London ever since I've come back. I've just hated it. You just think, God.
0: Are you one of those people now nah, that you, you want to take the leap over to the north as well, or are there organised tours of some sections of the north, North Korea, that is?
1: There are, but it's really difficult, and you get to see essentially what they want you to see. So you don't, you don't get to see. I don't, I don't think there's much point in going on an organised tour where you don't actually see what North Korea is like. So
0: you should probably bring your. Um... Uh, The interview t shirt. Remember the interview?
1: (laughs) (laughs) After that, I wouldn't need to worry about having anywhere to stay or food or anything because they'd just throw me in jail.
0: Well, I'm glad that you had a a fantastic uh, trip, that it uh, came true and then some, uh, the expectations. So uh, that's uh, wonderful to hear. And uh, we have been talking about you. Let's continue talking about you for a little bit. Plug your stuff, sir.
1: Okay, for anybody that doesn't know me, I'm Paul. I run hanglcelluloid.com. You can find me on. Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hangul Celluloid. I'm on Twitter at at Hangul Celluloid. All the links are on the site. Check it out.
0: And uh, we'll post links in the show post as well. And uh, a little brief contact information for the rest of the network. This is What's Korean Cinema. We've been doing this for 20 episodes prior to this. This is, uh, is the 21st. Remember the immature joke by me, yours truly? And then I'm uh, making up for it by continually, uh, as much as we can, producing shows on old-time Korean cinema, some more current, some uh, super current even. You know, you know, so well, I'm I'm making amends here by producing What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire network. We are on podcastonfire.com along with bonus episodes and other shows on Hong Kong, Japan sleazy movies, even ninja movies so make your pick over there if you have any questions or feedback let us know at the uh, email address that goes as follows fire at googlemail.com if you visit the site I mentioned there's some handy buttons leading to our social media specifically our Facebook which will get you to the Facebook discussion group as, as well, uh, site from the page our Twitter our iTunes feed so if you are an iTunes user you can subscribe to us and leave a rating and written comments and you can also stream us via Stitcher Radio through the website or the application available on the Apple App Store and Google Play I write about uh, you know every now and again Korea comes up in my reviews over at sogoodreviews.com wherever they are mostly connected to when martial arts movies were shot in Korea or when filmmakers like Shin Sang-Ok Took uh, a little trip over to Hong Kong. Do you know he directed a movie for Shaw Brothers? A ghost I movie for Shaw Brothers? I
1: know, yeah.
0: What, I, I forgot forgotten the name of it. It wasn't that good, to be honest. But hey, it was like Chin Sang Oak. Ok. I, I only thought the guy whose name I'm blanking on now who did King Boxer, uh, Five Fingers of Death, I, only, I thought that was the only Korean representation over at Shaw Brothers. But uh, hey, they they are. Chung Chang Wa. Yes, that's right.
1: Who I interviewed last month.
0: I remember Rufus always saying that all he wants to do Not Rufus, but the director is to talk shit about Shaw Brothers. (laughs) Essentially. Like, I'm sure he liked his time, but he also is very honest, apparently, about the Shaw Brothers uh, politics, if you will.
1: Totally, totally.
0: But uh, the results is there on screen, you know. Again, King Boxer, Five Fingers of Death, which I assume you've seen being a Korean aficionado. That is just reference martial arts. Material, right They're iconic.
1: Absolutely,
0: and it's Korea. Korea uh, did it, you know, the vision of vision of the Koreans. So there you are. And uh, so good is where you find the reviews of the Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, and a variety of genres. Uh, and I do a little video reviews at SleazyKVideo.com... and my Twitter handle is at so good reviews. And that's us for the contact information. A little bit of rundown of what's to come in this episode on Thousand Years Old Fox. Uh, there's a couple of sections before the review. And uh, so we'll break it down here, and if you want to jump ahead to the review, there are handy running times in the show post or on the podcast uh, applications or smart devices such as the iPhone and iPad, Uh, when you have your podcast loaded up, you should be able to access those running times as well. So what's going to happen here is we're going to talk a little bit about the movie's uh, background and its genre background which is followed by a biography on director sang Oak. We've talked to him before. It's been a while, so we're going to recap it again. And it all concludes with a review of Thousand Years Old Fox. So let's do it. Uh, that movie is from 1969. As I said, a plot from Paul Quinn's review at Hengold Cellular. Now, now, it's ingrained in my mind to look for your plot summaries.
1: I'm glad to hear it.
0: Like, uh, it's tough to find plot summaries sometimes, but chances are Paul's seen it and reviewed it, so... So he get, he gets a free plug and you help out the show that way. So here we are, uh, or rather, uh, here we go. In the Three Kingdoms period of ancient Korea, the Silla Queen Jin Seong, played by Kim Hee Jong, attempts to seduce nobleman Wong Rang, played by Shin Young Kun Kyun. Rather. Uh, tempted though he may be, uh, Wong Rang rejects the Queen's advances out of faithfulness to his wife Yu hwa played by female actress kim ji su and utterly enraged at his audacity the queen immediately banishes both wong rung and his wife from the kingdom before long while trekking through the mountains yuhua is set upon by bandits and in the process of her desperate efforts to escape she falls into a lake seemingly drowning however Held captive in the lake is the spirit of a fox demon who possesses Hua's body to exact revenge on those who kill her baby and imprisoned her in the watery depths. Good work, my friend. Good work. That's good. Like, wait. Ooh, that sounds intriguing. 1969. Old people's movies. Boo. No.
1: You can't knock it.
0: Alright, on. Uh, some background, therefore, it was called by the Korean Film Archive the pinnacle of 1960s cinematic horror and, and an ingenious combination of fantasy action and melodrama. It's said to experiment with the genre that normally features ghosts with a desire for revenge, yes, but it weaves in action and uh, melodrama coming out of the romantic triangle and uh, fantasy elements too. It's um, it, it features a little bit more thinks a little bit more seemingly compared to other uh, genre efforts but my question is is this sort of fair assessment of that thousand years old fox uh, does things a little bit uh, differently does it incorporate elements in this genre that aren't the staples of of the genre you know so if uh, I, uh, i have a little bit more to ask you but if we start with that is this original even
1: from, from my point of view, yeah. I mean, this, this set the standard, really. I know you know quite a lot about fox demons in China and whatever else, um, but if you look at it in Korea, over the years they've extended, they've changed, as we'll talk a little bit about as we go along, but this Shinsanok version is much, much simpler. She's just a demon who's out for revenge, much as you would find in a normal ghost story. So it's almost as if he's bridging a gap between your standard long-haired ghost thing and the foxtail demons that would come later, which were much more complicated and much more about humanity.
0: Complicated good, complicated bad.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And he simplifies things a lot. You know, there are a lot of stories and as they've gone on in years, people have taken extra little bits to create what is the archetypal Korean fox story with, you know, stealing livers and eating to become human in the thousandth year. This is much, much simpler. You know, this this fox demon's just a demon spirit that's a thousand years old, and it's out for revenge. It's not looking to to do anything. It's not looking to become human. All it's looking for is revenge, and it sort of bridges the gap between the two. You know, on the same level, the film bridges the gap between your your classic horror of, up to that point and the, the true horror that was going to come after, which... Eventually led, I guess, to of two sisters. So, you know, he's he's really setting the mark here on every every level.
0: What what is it that stands out as enduring compared to other efforts of its kind? I mean, if you think of another, you know, ghost revenge movie, maybe from the same period, like what makes Shin sang Oak's efforts here so much more enduring than a than another movie that might not have endured well at all?
1: Everything. I mean, up to this point, you had. A ghostly looking figure standing they didn't use much special effects we'll talk a little bit about that later on as well but if you look at thousand years old fox you know you've got martial arts in it you've got pretty decent special effects for the time you've got the story that is a horror but is also majorly melodrama and it just hits across every level which other films didn't they were all they were all very niche very genre this sort of fits everything. You know, for the first, the first 10 first 15 minutes, it could just be a melodrama about the Joseon period, you know, until she falls into the lake and, you know, you find out that there's a fox demon in there.
0: I always loved that movie experience, by the way, where you, you don't know, obviously, I didn't know the beats of this story, being a first-time viewer. Where I, I knew it was going to have a supernatural angle, but where it's sort of like, this is how it starts and boom, Intriguing. All right. Uh, you know, flex your muscles, movie. You know, thrill me. Here we
1: go. <laughs> totally, totally.
0: That's interesting. But, you know, you mentioned uh, special effects. I mean, how has that tradition in Korea evolved? I mean, was was there a particular genre of filmmakers experimenting with it more? Um, if we're talking superimposed effects, makeup, and the usage of the wires, as we see in this movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was essentially, in terms of the use of wires, as you know, it was all martial arts, woksia, yeah in terms of matting and all the special effects that they used, really, it, w- it was the horror genre because that's all they could get away with it in. And they they were really behind for an awfully long time. The the special effects you see in even science fiction films like Save the Green Planet, if you look at the end of it where the world explodes, not to give away any spoilers.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you for anyone who's not watched it.
1: <laughs> well, you know, maybe, maybe it was in a, you know... In someone's imagination, I don't know. But if you look at that, it's really obvious that it's just been hooked together as much as it can because they just couldn't do them. The special effects of that, which is what, 2004, 2005, were no better than 1,000-Year-Old Fox, which was 69. Mm -hmm. So, until CGI came in, Korea really just stayed with essentially what you've got in 1,000-Year-Old Fox. A little bit better done, but
0: there's more physical effects here rather than um, any uh, combined shots and stuff like that. I mean, the wire work is something I I felt was new, uh, based on my limited viewings of Korean cinema, both mm. uh, both Hong Kong movies shot shot in Korea using Korean crew and just purely uh, Korean movies. That felt new, but uh, that. Uh, wave of why work was never going to be led by Korea uh, as such. uh, Because they they didn't have that action tradition uh, and and focus. Uh, And, you know, let's uh, define Fox Spirit for a second, because uh, even I know that it has popped up multiple times in movies, uh, and uh, in Hong Kong movies. uh, But uh, for a while, I remember when we did Podcast on Fire many years ago, uh, one of the older co-hosts was talking about various movies and tv shows in south korea that multiple ones that features the usage of a fox which amused me to no end because it seems like this is the idea of 2009 or 10 or whenever we spoke of that so definition according to wikipedia quote the fox spirit or nine-tailed fox having been originated from chinese mythology is a common motif in the mythology of east asian countries in East Asian folklore, foxes are depicted as a familiar spirit possessed by magic powers. These foxes are depicted as mischievous, usually tricking other people with the ability to disguise as an attractive female human. For some reason, you know what? When I read that, <laughs> I'm I'm focused on the podcast. But when when I read that, all I could think of was uh, Spaceballs, just as this scene <laughs> in Spaceballs, where where the princess' father is like, "Come here, come here, oh hi, daddy," and then he turns into Lord Helmet. Fool you! <laughs> so there is that. But uh, that uh, that was the definition. I I love that movie. It's just one of those like, fool you! Bravo, bravo. But uh, I promise uh, this is not a parody. It's deeply, deeply serious stuff in Thousand Years Old Fox and tragic stuff. But, uh, you know, the, are, they, are these just uh, sporadic inclusions in Korean entertainment in movies and TV? Or was there, or is there still uh, a hardcore focus on putting this element in your supernatural dramatic story?
1: Oh, pretty much, This is this is a big thing it has been for years whether it be in films with right from thousand year old fox through to fox with nine tails through to the fox family over the years or if you look at tv with a fox child or my girlfriend is a gummy hoe fox tales have horror melodrama drama comedy it's just covered everything because I think it's just a phenomenal vehicle for, for whatever you want to tell If you look at the thousand years old fox, it is very, very simplified. As I say, it's just a demon that's looking for revenge. But over the years, they've actually got to the point where you've got a fox demon. It's in its thousandth year. It's trying to become human. In order to do so, it's got to kill humans. And the more humans it kills, the more it destroys the humanity that it's actually trying to get. By killing them, if he, if it kills them, it can become human. But by killing them, it loses its humanity. And that whole thing has really become the the crux of it all. This whole what is humanity and and down to do you sacrifice others or do you sacrifice yourself? So
0: it's not really simplified, to be honest. I mean, did, keeping it simple can still be poignant.
1: You know. Oh, I I totally agree. I totally agree. But. They've sort of, they've extended it over the years so that it speaks very much to to Korean drama as a whole, whereas Shin Chanok was really just using it within what he wanted to do anyway. You know, foxtails, they just, they don't die. They just never end. And I'm glad because I love them.
0: I remember it might not have been a foxtail per se, but it might have been to, uh, or they just featured there uh, these demons and ghosts that had tales, but uh, the Hong Kong movie Erotic Ghost Story, I believe the the trio of uh, women, all of which except Amy Yip took took their clothes off because it's one of those movies. I I think they were fox uh, demons and spirits.
1: I think they were.
0: But but, but that movie is primarily a a period costume remake of The Witches of Eastwick, which is cool. So uh, only these ladies take their clothes off, so... Uh, But Shin Sang-ok, we've uh, talked of him before uh, during our Korean Kaiju special and all of that. But it's been a while and it's a little refresher course both for your listeners and for me. uh, I think he's in order, so we'll go over the bio and a little bit of his impact again. So uh, he studied abroad in Japan before returning to Korea and got his start in the film industry as an assistant production designer on Viva Freedom, which is a movie that Paul mentions every now and again. It's in existence and quite an important uh, one because it was the first Korean film made after the country achieved independence from Japan. So what what an apt title. Any good just because it's uh, important? uh, so so Does it tick both boxes?
1: Yeah, both boxes. Great film.
0: Uh, Shin was an active uh, filmmaker during what's referred to as the golden age of South Korean cinema in the 50s and 60s, often releasing multiple movies per year and earning the nickname Prince of Korean Cinema. His uh, production company, Shin Films, uh, was prolific as well, producing movies uh, such as Prince nineteen 1961, which was the winner of the Best Film Prize at the first Grand Bell Awards ceremony. And they also produced a Grand Bell Award winning 1964 remake of uh, uh, Na Woon Gyu's 1926 movie, Byonggyoli Samryong. I don't know if it has an English title back then, but it's a, a remake of uh, a possibly a silent movie. Uh, Shin, you know, having had this golden period, uh, became less and less active in the 70s as South Korea's film industry battled with strict censorship and government interference. And uh, she mostly produced the flops at this time. And uh, I know you've spoken about it, that this uh, tight grip on movies in terms of censorship comes and goes. Sometimes there's even short periods, even nowadays, where it's stricter and less strict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it seems like they they don't really make up their mind. It seems like whoever is in charge of the censorship board uh, dictates what's going to be going on for a few years. But, uh, you know, when they say you know, strict censorship and government interference, were were the censors and government just neutering films left and right based on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, essentially, it was a a case of either cutting them to shreds or just banning them completely. I mean, there were a a load of really good films from the sort of late 70s, 80s that you will just never see because they were banned, they were destroyed.
0: Was it only because of political content that they went after a variety of... uh, aspects in movies
1: whatever they deemed unacceptable if it was political content they didn't like it if it was sexual content they let it go if it was male female to a certain degree for example if there was any indication of single sex sex or things that were away from the norm of i guess family be culled straight away there are there are loads of films where bondage or you know i mean that sounds really crass when i say it but if you look at things like lies and i keep mentioning these films lies in yellow hair lies essentially is about a young girl and an older man and they get into sort of beating each other i quite like it um
0: <laughs> it's very like I, I quite like it i give it a thumbs up
1: <laughs> I, I quite like it um
0: a romp says hang on celluloid a romp <laughs>
1: It's just one of the most strikingly original films you could ever imagine as they go through and they go from, you know, whips to whatever else and they end up with these big, you know, two by fours beating each other. It's it's almost funny it's so off the wall, completely banned because that's not what you do. Yellow Hair was two girls that run away from their family and get together because that was nonconformist completely banned uh, so many other films were just cut to shreds or just destroyed completely
0: F- filmmakers like kim ki young must have been tearing his hair out during this period
1: i mean they they were kim ki young and i guess shin chanok w- were pretty switched on they they got away with a lot because they knew what they were doing they knew how to get away with it and almost fit it within a context that that could be allowed to to pass you know, anybody that actually just did these things to say something about society was going to be sunk. So, you know, Kim Ki-young, yeah, he's he's got a reputation, but there's a reason for that, because he could actually get his stuff still seen. You know, he could cover it all well.
0: Despite all of that, after Shin ran a foul, Shin Shin Sanok, of the repressive government in 1978 his studio shin studio was actually closed and then the involuntary north korean period started that we talked about and we're going to go over it really quickly uh, and that is the uh, supposed kidnapping uh, where shin Sang-ok was uh, kidnapped uh, by Kim, the forces of Kim Jong-il and brought to the North to make movies. Uh, So uh, what happened, uh, the the backstory, one one version of it, uh, is that uh, Shin went to Hong Kong in the late 70s to investigate the kidnapping of his ex-wife Choi Eun-hee and promptly was kidnapped to, uh, brought to Korea, kidnapped uh, on orders from Kim Jong-il who was keen to establish a film industry in the North to change international opinion of the Workers' Party of Korea. It took a few years for the movie production side of the story to come about as uh, Shin was brought to uh, uh, Pyongyang in 1983, where he and his ex-wife sort of realized they were both in North North Korea, and uh, during this time, Shin directed seven films for executive producer Kim Jong-il before escaping with his wife in 1988 uh, while in Vienna for a film festival, so Kim Jong-il let him out to to Mm. promote a movie at a film festival, and they, they... Ran as fast as they could. So uh, they managed to seek uh, political asylum from the United States Embassy before they were uh, found out. And Kim Jong il became convinced that the couple had been kidnapped by the Americans. Um, and uh, the two eventually fled uh, safely. And one of the movies that resulted from this uh, involuntary stay was uh, the uh, co director. Uh, there's two directors on it the monster movie Pulgasari. Pretty damn fun film. It's filled with uh, intent north uh, korean intent but it's pretty damn fun it's pretty damn fun actually part of movie film history and uh, it's not like they shot and killed Shin Sang-ok after he directed the last frame of the movie ha 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 we made a movie now it's 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 not as um you you don't get a foul taste in your mouth uh, watching it Uh, for fans of that type of movie uh, they even had japanese special effects talent on talent on it it's a pretty damn fun movie. It's actually. a
1: great, it's a great movie. Even, even just hearing about it again brings a smile to my face. So you know, if you get a chance, check it out.
0: Uh, Shin uh, worked in the U.S. subsequently under alias Simon Sheen, directing movies such as Free Ninjas Knuckle Up, and working as an executive producer for Free Ninjas Kickback and Free Ninjas High Noon at Mega Mountain. Mega Mountain, not High Mountain, but Mega Mountain. Not seen any of those, so, but uh, based on the movie that we saw uh, that he uh, produced, uh, the uh, sort of kid-friendly U.S. remake of Pulgasari called Gal I'm not too sure I'm too keen to follow Shin sang Oak's U.S. career as Simon Sheen, but you being a bit of a completist for following Korean directors, did you ever go for the free ninjas triple bill that I, just, uh, that I just mentioned?
1: No, I have to say I took the same tack as you. I just thought after that, I'm kind of done. I'll just switch back to standard Korean. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) And uh, he wasn't very keen on returning to South Korea uh, by this point, Simon Sheen, for fear of not being believed he'd been in the clutches of the North. And some actually speculate that he might have defected originally, but uh, I don't think we're ever going to find out. Uh, I mean, is is she still alive, his ex-wife?
1: She's still alive, and she was. there's a new book out, or was out last year, by a guy called Paul Fisher, published in the UK and, and Europe, I guess, about that whole story. Um, and he went and interviewed her. I've got it on my hard drive, I have to say. I haven't checked it all out.
0: Do Do you know with which angle she takes?
1: She, she essentially is it completely held to the they were kidnapped. It's all as it appeared. They escaped and... It was all put on them rather than anything else. But that's that's the way she's going to take it. And I think I think the guy that wrote the book chose to head in that direction rather than piss her off by trying to to force her into saying anything else because she's just not going to. But yeah, she's still alive. She's what eighty five now. So
0: very cool. Very cool. I'm glad that uh, I mean we're not trying to paint them as uh, bad people or anything. But uh, to be fair, there's been two stories here and um i'm willing to believe uh, the the kidnapping aspect because it doesn't seem out of line
1: no i agree and and from a story point of view i think it it sounds a lot better to just think wow he kidnapped them to create a film industry
0: we, which is not out of a like it's not unreasonable either because he was a buff he was a film buff kim
1: yeah, well, totally. And it just sort of fits and it. It almost has a romance to it. You know, you just I'd, I'd like to I'd like to think that was the case. But as you say, we'll never know for sure.
0: Fast forwarding again uh, in 1994, Shin Sang-ho did manage to go back to South Korea, convinced himself that um, it was... Uh, safe mentally and all of that and uh, he wanted to start directing in his native country again and his last movie as director was The Story of Winter from 2002 but the note on Wikipedia says its status is unreleased so do you know if that was a movie that wasn't completed?
1: I think filming was completed but it was never completed post-production wise as far as I know it's certain, it certainly hasn't seen the light of day and I think it's pretty unlikely to but as far as I know all the the film elements are there it just wasn't it just wasn't put together as far as i'm aware
0: and no one knows if it starred like in a big names or such or was it a super small movie
1: essentially not much is known whatsoever it's just it was a film being made and it just didn't turn you know, your guess is as good as anybody else's.
0: Uh, Shin Sang-okia passed away in 2006 of the complita- complications from hepatitis. And uh, in the wake of this, South Korean President Ro-mo Hyun awarded him the Gold Crown Cultural Medal in the same year, April 12, 2006. Do you know he, if he was alive in April tw- uh, in April that year?
1: I think he'd already died, to be honest with you. Right, right. I, th- I think it was posthumous.
0: And uh, that, that, is, that medal is the country's top Honor for for an artist, so uh, that was a nice thing to do for someone who sort of was fearful of being ridiculed because of the stories he, he has in his library in terms of the kidnapping and all of that. So we mentioned it, you mentioned it before, but I'm gonna give you the floor again. You know, in your words, uh, short and not, uh, What do you want to say about Shin sang oak's importance in South Korean and even North Korean cinema? Uh, I mean, is it essentially a, a figure to keep track of if you're a fairly seasoned fan of, uh, of the cinema
1: if you're a fan of korean cinema and you're looking to go anywhere apart from oh look this came out last year and i've seen it then you need to check out since i he set the rule book for everything if we take thousand years old fox if you watch it and then you go and watch something like the fox child from i think 2002 2003 your mouth will open when you look and see all the set pieces that were taken from Shinsai Oak's work. You just think that's Shinsai Oak. So's that. The framing, the colouring, the the same use of wire work if you like, the same idea of trees where she's up in one and they're looking up at her, the same sort of makeup. It's it's just solid. Everything he does is copied and has been copied over the years because he really was and in a very he really was the starter within his own genres. So, you know, check him out. He's he's massive. He's really important.
0: And uh, I, I can only remember one other movie, but I guess it's not a. I think I've seen two or three, and then his Shaw brother's movie, uh, Ghost Something Something. Uh, but uh, it's not a bad thing as opposed to con- conjure up a little bit of chat of Flower in Hell because it's uh, it might not be this... Super frantic Michael Bay movie, you know, where everything is super fast or anything. But Flower and Hell has a damn fine impact on you. This uh, almost documentary style little thriller,
1: massively, yeah, you know, phenomenal. All the number of films of his you can mention that just have that memorable quality are you couldn't name them all. They're all really worth seeing. And yeah, Flower and Hell's amazing. Another, you know, if you take Eunuch, if you take You know, any of those old classic films, they all speak of what he was trying to say within an industry that had never said anything like that before. And just while we're on the subject, the main, the queen character in Thousand Years Old Fox, Kim Hae jung she was in an awful lot of his films. Um, She was as big as he was. And if you check him out, you need to check her out as well.
0: So that, that leads us to the review and, uh, as for my short opinion of the thousand years old fox, it's swift and an effectively, I would say scary slice of yeah. Korean horror. I, I'm not, I'm not sitting there shaking like, ooh, I'm so scared, but it is pretty damn creepy. It's very approachable. It's very moody and very honed technically. It's so I gather this is a good place to start if anyone wants to see what Koreans did with the spooky nature of the genre. This is not supernatural light stuff. It's supposed to be serious and moody and even scary and as we've established, even melodramatic. But not melodramatic to the extent where everybody, but everybody's crying and gets cancer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not uh, intense like that. It has drama, but not melodrama in a negative way. So that's my short opinion. stay, stay a little short opinion, uh, 4,000 years old Fox, before we discuss in depth.
1: Um, I totally agree with you. It sort of sets, as I say, it sets the, the level for everything that comes after it. It's fast paced. It's an hour and a half long. And re-watching it a couple of days ago... I happened to glance at my watch after about 15 minutes and find out I was 45 minutes in.
0: Right, oh yeah, I felt the same, I felt the same. I, 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 rarely, I, I rarely sit through a movie in one go, especially when I'm working with a movie. I tend to take a break or two just to sort of absorb. totally. But, uh, totally. but th- this one was, boom, over.
1: It never stops, but it doesn't feel rushed. You know, within five minutes, someone's being attacked by bandits. Within five minutes, you've got the appearance of... A fox demon, uh, it just, it keeps hitting you at every moment. You just don't have a minute to sit still. But it doesn't feel like he's pushing things on you. Just, it feels natural.
0: And and, and it's a different side too. as I said, to since I've only essentially seen Flower and Hell. And again, it, black and white, very low budget documentary realism, which is all good. And here you get a switch to widescreen, colour, in, in period costumes. so it, it's it's so much fun to add to that knowledge of Shin Sang-ok's importance, but also versatility. And um, I mean, I, I'm sure it's not sensational that he did a horror movie or anything because he he dabbled in genres. But you know, you know, just for the sake of discussion, do you think this was his first, one of his firsts, or did horror or was horror f- fairly common for Shin Sang-ok?
1: For for him, as far as I'm aware, this was really his first foray into it. The- And as such, he really hit it on the nail on the head from start to finish. I mean, you watch when the the fox demon, not to give any spoilers away, but when she first takes life, if you like, you know, Shane Stanoak's running things backwards to make it look like she's being able to grab things, grab clothing from across the room. And watching it, you just think, it's obvious that that's running backwards and that's how he's done it. But it's done so well. It feels like he's been doing this for years. And clearly he hasn't because he's been doing Flower in Hell. He's been doing Eunuch. He's been doing the melodramas, the dramas that don't call for any of that mystical, otherworldly stuff. He seemed to be a natural at it from my point of view.
0: Oh, I very much agree. I mean, the, the instincts are very spot on, but... Since I didn't know anything about the beats and how long it's going to take for the Fox to come out, I was very fascinated with the start of it because we got sort of a post-mortem human interaction going on. What I mean by that is that we see the husband sort of explaining and being hailed for heroism of his. You know, he's been on the battlefield. You know, heroics are take place off screen and now we're dealing with the aftermath where he's... You know, he doesn't soak in. I'm a hero. I got, you know, I'm the king of the world. And he's very um, earthy. Earthy as a character. You know, he he's missing his family. I mean, he's uh, hailed as a hero. He's desired by the queen, before she goes all irrational and banishes them both, and you know, acts acts like a kid or whatever. You see a little human tint in her as well, that she essentially explains that she's felt you know, closed up despite having all the power in the world. She doesn't feel like she's lived. She's always had her fate sealed by because she's royal. So, I mean, that's decent humanity to a one-on-one talk amidst war and politics and heroics. We never see the battlefield heroics and you see sort of people uh, dropping, um, you know, not rank, uh, but certainly talking to each other as people. But then when, you know, he doesn't desire her and it's the banish banish you know she's she's childish although we know we don't see that scene but uh, that's the last of the good characteristics of the queen
1: I mean I also love the fact that from the very outset for somebody that's as obsessed with the history of Korean cinema as I am the whole way that she's shown before you know who she is she seems to be oh she's the loneliest person in the world whatever else but you already at that point know she's evil Because she's already said, everybody thinks I'm really lewd, but I'm not. And then she goes, take me to your bed or take, et cetera, et cetera. It almost screams, I'm evil, I am lewd, and I'm going to lie about it. Oh, and by the way, I'm sort of a lonely woman as well. And it it just, it offsets everything to the point where you just think, yeah, evil, evil woman.
0: I I actually was a bit confused at first because Shin sang kind of froze us into developments, there's no distinctive scene for a few minutes where she declares that the husband and wife should be banished. We sort of just cut to this scene in the countryside with the wife walking, and and you you, you fill in the gaps. But I was sort of like, hey, wait, wait uh hmm? uh-oh, oh, 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 now I get it. I'm catching up to it. You know, did you feel that was a weakness, as such, or is that fine to just sort of make the movie? move a bit faster by not stopping to explain exactly all events that
1: it it kind it kind of worked for me and I, I, the reason i say that is i have a real problem with overuse of exposition i've got a i've got a huge issue with it you know i have probably too much of an issue with it so the fact that they don't explain and you just as she's walking along by the time she's just about to go into the forest or whatever you've figured out who she is and the fact that she's being banished I was sort of glad because you just you get rid of those 10 minutes that you don't need and he just gets on with, you're going to figure out who she is. You know, for the sake of an hour and a half film, for the pace to keep going as it does, I think it was worth doing.
0: Speaking of exposition, I mean, there's a smooth exposition here actually because during that walk in the countryside where she's escorted home, we're escorted out of the kingdom, there's talks of you know, the corrupt higher-ups, but also that there's roaming savages in the countryside. And that is not them sitting around a campfire and a thing, talking about the thing that's going to happen in 20 minutes. It's something they talk of as they move forward.
1: Yeah, and it's sort of, it it is brief, and it just sort of takes that, that walk. It puts dialogue behind it, and it lets you, it does like, you know, and yeah, it's exposition, but I, I can let that, I can easily let that go because it seems sort of natural, you know. So it, it, the whole thing worked for me.
0: And, and and then when you go from the exposition to revealing the mystery of the pond, it's that's really intriguing because even the savages know something is up. It's therefore fun to see the period costume, epic, you know, wide screen in widescreen and color, get this supernatural angle introduced. Mm. And, because you're you you you're confused, but in a good way, because the wife falls into the pond and it's not even knee high deep water is a little pond and then that killed her apparently okay but it it's the pond man it's the it's the mysterious pond the mystic river if you will <laughs> and uh, it, it it's fine it, uh, no, no complaints at all because it he has control of his the depiction of the mystery and it's a fun switcheroo for the viewers who did not know that it's going five minutes early it was going to go down that route uh and uh, uses uh, smoke to create the atmosphere. I mean, it's on a budget. You you can sort of see that someone likes the smoke machine a little bit more. But I I gotta tell you, it's pretty damn atmospheric because it's not very studio bound when they're doing these scenes. Uh, and uh, it that's it's atmospheric because the horror story and the revenge story that's going to be told is. Effective in its simplicity. So, uh, mm. you know, for for this post-dubbed movie, I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's it was good that it was post-dubbed. Because all you would hear during the dialogue in the smoky scenes would probably be the sound of the smoke machine going... Mm. <laughs> is it um, too much content? I mean, I know, answer to the question, but for the sake of listeners and all of that. Is it too much content for 90 minutes? Or do you think there's just the right amount of mixture of period drama... Switch to supernatural angle, melodrama, horror, and all of that. I mean, th- there's a lot if you think about it, but uh, does it feel packed?
1: There is a lot, and it, it feels full, but I wouldn't say packed. From my point of view, it, it moves along at a brisk pace. There's loads of stuff that you constantly get, that you constantly understand. It just it moves as it should. I don't have a problem. I don't think there's too much. I don't think there's not enough. I think it's just about right. Fair play to Shinsano for being able to fit all that in and make it work, because it does work on every level. You know, you do feel the melodrama as you go through. You do feel the horror. It is creepy, and it moves between the two really nicely.
0: I I agree. It it is well made and told well, and it's intriguing enough. I mean, even the verbal stories, once you're into the story and uh, start to approve of it, the verbal stories conjures up somewhat creepy imagery of the fox, you know, even when we don't see her. When we do, there's no... We're not in this era where we have the horror startle, you know, every five minutes here, but there's no need to startle here. To they, Shin Sang-hok even builds... Uh, maybe this sounds doffed, but he builds sort of a realism of sorts by not feeling the need to you know, intense zoom-ins or anything like that. It's just sort of Classic effective techniques, um, classic effective techniques in terms of, you know, bathing the fox in one single colored light and yeah. the rest of the environment is not. Someone could argue that it's crude. I don't think it's crude. I think it's just the right amount of like, I know what the environment is saying to me. That is a supernatural part of the frame right there.
1: Totally. And I also love the fact that, you know, if you look at the fox tales from later on, you'll always guarantee to see a pretty girl who suddenly morphs CGI wise into a fox and obviously they couldn't do that back then, but there's no there's no masks, there's no there's nothing apart from a little bit of makeup to make her look slightly more evil than normal. You know, a bit of eyeshadow and a you know, bathing in blue. And for me that that works all the better because you're not dealing with looking at at masks that look fake. You're just you're dealing with her acting and her acting covers it all.
0: But what will be will be injected if I understood this correctly, that is, is that essentially the wife Yuhua is um burdened with a curse because she is the vessel for revenge. Uh, she is presumed dead at one point and then she sort of merges with the Fox Spirits and Fox Spirit, and the Fox Spirit sort of keeps her alive, but says essentially that at night it's my show
1: on that same subject, if you look at especially Korean drama, even from a couple of years ago, they constantly use that, and I'll guarantee it's stolen from him. this whole i'm going to take over your body, but I'll only use it from you know three a m to sunrise it's it's forty nine days. Loads of TV dramas, they all use it, and I'll guarantee you they stole it from him, because I'd never seen anything like that before.
0: It's actually quite scary uh, as made, and you care enough about, you know, Wong Rang and Yu Wa's relationship, because he is going to come to a point where he realizes what is during the day and what is during the night. You know, that Mm. classic making the tough choice. You know, by killing her essentially like that is on the cards, and I think that mixture of that is the drama horror mixture that is really tragic and also frightening um and the the acting is um uh, you know amping that but not amping it too much, where she's running to one side of the room, putting her huh. hand on her forehead, you know, whoa, it's me, I'm cursed, you know there's no theatrical acting. In that uh, in that way, which makes it again, I, I felt a tint of realism here, despite the story being a supernatural one, which mm. w- was a, a bit of a treat, to be honest. I, I liked it a lot. It's a it's a good fit amidst this busy content. What you also notice, by the way, this is shot in widescreen, big scope, but the story is actually far smaller in scope, which is maybe a pretentious thing to talk of, but I kind of dug that that this is looks big whoa it's gonna be tough to understand no it's not
1: no it's not it's simple yeah
0: so yeah uh, I-, I thought that I was a good treat like going from the gritty tight square frame of uh flower in hell we go to this like boom open it up and i'm still gonna be small i'm still gonna yeah. creep you out you know and and uh when we see the fox as you alluded to the but- character design is obviously with the long black hair, the flowing garments and it's it's new it was new at one point, you know, uh and uh it's going to turn into a cliche whether you see it put to good use in a chinese um uh ghost story, of course. Mm. Uh but also, you know, in the countless uh, imitations that followed in the wake of J-horror awakening on us and all of that. So it's all how you use it, regardless of Shin sang was conjuring up the image. The first uh, one that conjured up the image in Korea, I don't know if it was, but it depends on what you bring to it, obviously. It can be frightening in a movie tomorrow, too.
1: I totally agree.
0: But but it is arresting and creeping that by, by employing very little, that, that eyeshadow makeup that looks almost like slapped on like they painted big eyeshadow on her it sort of amps the monstrous factor almost this is not this uh sexy fox spirit or anything like that no when she is that is going to be uh and they never go from sexy fox spirit to boo i'm a monster now no that's the only depiction the image of her which uh is um quite good and uh, even um you know the white makeup too it helps and it seems so simple it might have been a five minute makeup job every time they they were asked to do it but it it, it gets the job done combined with the story elements too without the story elements that wouldn't have been effective it simply wouldn't because you care because you felt the distress of the wife uh, having uh, been burdened with this curse and None more so and in the, in the uh, horrifying scene where they attempt to burn her alive. That is rough stuff, man. I mean, it's it's both rough technically because it looks like they put the actors actress, close to the fire.
1: I don't know offhand, but I'd imagine they did. You know, they just, they didn't have anything.
0: It's not a perspective shot. It seems like she's surrounded at least three walls uh, surround her with fire. But, but that is, in the story, that is heartbreaking of you a know, scream that you know, com- comes out of that uh, that uh, room where the, where the ruling forces are dealing with the fox spirit that way by killing her at the day. That that is an incredibly creepy notion, and I'm only saying that because I was into the story. Can you think of many other or any other horror movie that was this, uh, you know, affecting on all fronts? Because it seems so, it seems to work so well all throughout the ninety minutes. I mean, most movies stall, and then bring out a showstopper for a few minutes, but uh, you know, did anyone come close to Shin San Oak's handling?
1: Not really, you know, if you if you look at things like somewhere in the, I think it's somewhere close to Midnight, it was a huge, I can't even remember the director, but it was a huge, the big horror movie of the golden era really, and yeah, it's okay um, it has creepy bits and it has non-creepy bits and it drags a little bit, Shinsan Oak hit everything here, it doesn't It doesn't let up, and I can't off the top of my head think of another horror film from that era that hits so well, so constantly.
0: It seemed like it could have been an audience favorite based on how it's conveyed, but it's not empty entertainment, though.
1: No, certainly not. You know, and at the end of the day, when you look back at the golden age, there are very, very few films that that just hit you from start to finish and pull you through briskly but not rushed. And this does, whenever we were talking about what classic film we wanted to do, um, I knew we were going to do another horror as our later thing. This immediately came to mind because you just think this just hits it. This is this is the one. If it sticks in my memory that much, it's probably it's it's the best you're going to get, certainly of that time.
0: And just on a few minor notes here, um, you know, a little bit out of context, but the uh... I think some dialogue and visuals towards the end, such as when the husband says, confronting the fox spirit, it's you, Hua's arm, not yours. If you remember that exchange. Mm. And uh, I mean, that is, you know, that story element of the husband doing anything for his wife, but having to make rough decisions towards the end of the movie. That is amped horror, but in dialogue. You know, yeah. it's not amped horror in terms of these classic Shaw Brothers intense zoom-ins whenever something happens. You know, there's no um, lazy, <laughs> lazy tools like that. And there's some effective disgusting imagery towards the end. You know, the, the notion of the fox spirit, both leg and armless, as we get hints of towards the end. It's, uh,
1: with her with her voice going,
0: give me back my arm. Yeah, yeah. And, and that wouldn't scare me at all. I'm sorry, Paul. But in the movie, it is scary. <laughs> <laughs> it really works
1: you know? and you see her and she's obviously armless and covered in blood it sort of works for me
0: it gets really riveting and intense towards the end, but again these tough violent choices that need to be made and then, without spoiling it uh, Shin Sang-ok you know, leaves us with the tragedy of it all and with some very arresting um, ending imagery and uh, in all their simplicity also poignant ending imagery
1: and the, the the final the final scenes, I guess, um, are the most memorable of all for me. They they just absolutely phenomenal. And when you find out what the actual deal is, it is really poignant. Um, and it sums up everything that that you could possibly want the film to say. It's just it's a beautiful ending.
0: Do, do you know if it fared critically uh, well critically at the time, and if it was? somewhat of a a well-attended movie. Do we know that?
1: I mean, it pretty much was, but you could say that about a great deal of the golden age because, you know, people went to the cinema to see everything.
0: I always gather that people liked melodrama more. This could almost be argued to be difficult. I I said it's easy, and it is easy to watch. It is more difficult than standard melodrama, though. But, But do you still think people would be brave enough to... Try it out.
1: I, I think so because he did from from the get go. You know he he had a reputation and people would have been drawn to him and the performances by the actresses who who were you know absolutely huge. So they would have gone to see it regardless, and even if it's maybe more difficult in terms of finding out that it is melodrama, the end of the film just underlines it all. It gives all the melodrama fans exactly what they wanted.
0: Um, and I also enjoyed that there, there was never any sort of like rules what to call your widescreen presentation. You know, you had show scope, you had this and this scope. Uh, mm. So Shinsegae does the logical thing of presenting this in Shin scope, yeah, which I think is adorable because why not? No one is telling us to use how to use the scope to to promo it as a big movie in scope. So it's Shin scope, motherfuckers. You know, deal with it. <laughs> Too bad it didn't open it that way, like da da shin scope. Well, you kind of should have, shouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, I Shore brothers, where the scope takes the shin scope takes up the entirety of the image as it should. But uh, regardless, as for availability, the Korean Film Archive did handle a DVD release, uh, which is the same source as we watched, uh, the as and uh, subtitled source and it even had subtitled extras in English but I'm not sure it's in print anymore so I couldn't find a listing of it uh, using as many variations of the English title as I could because I think it appears a little bit different here and there, it's thousand year old fox in some places and stuff like that Uh, but you can watch it for free on the Korean Film Archive official YouTube channel which is the widescreen version subtitled and that is uh, completely official and legal, so uh, there's no, there's no, uh, you shouldn't feel bad that you can't find a DVD and have to watch it on YouTube because it's encouraged to do so, you know, and uh, we'll link directly to it. The only downside, if you want to be modern about all of these things, you know, you you wish that uh, sometime in the future, if Kofa continues to evolve their library, that you're going to get akin to HD transfers of these movies on the youtube channel but but they're not low quality pixelated quality or anything it's just that you hope like keep it up kofa and hopefully we can get uh, you know some hd sources of movies like this on there because they'd look pretty astonishing if remastered correctly
1: pretty much would i don't know if we'll ever see it but fingers crossed well, I, I mean guess. it's
0: such a massive library i mean are they adding to it still do you know that yeah
1: yeah i mean uh, we've we've talked i think in the last podcast about chung yang um, which is a really. Oh yeah, I
0: saw that. I saw that on there. I was reminded of uh, ah, that was the one I I think Paul sort of ordered me to see.
1: <laughs> yeah, so you know they're they're still they put that up a couple of days ago and they put put up a couple of new ones today, which I, I just got an email about, but I haven't had a chance to even read it yet. Um, so they're still, you know, they're putting up maybe three, four a month you can't really knock that i mean they've got such a huge library and i'm assuming as they go through before they put anything up they're making sure they've got them all subtitled so it's a big job
0: and and hopefully things stay up there and don't go off the site due to rights issue i mean it seems like the movies when kofa have them they're like like their rights aren't very limited anyway it seems like they have these movies for years or so even own them after remastering them
1: yeah i mean pretty much the korean film archive you know, they they rule the roost, essentially. So if they've been given a film to to archive, then it's theirs, and it's going to go up, and it's going to stay up.
0: So go watch it, people. We fairly recommend it. Uh, but next time, we take a jump to modern horror, the movie that's, well, it's over 10 years old at this point. But uh, Kim Ji-Woon wrote and directed A Tale of Two Sisters in 2003, Bringing the scares and heartbreak, and we'll tell you all about that. Uh, and uh, some may argue that that may still be popular director Kim Ji-Woon's best film. Mm. And uh, for someone who hasn't watched all of them, this is still my favorite. Obviously, *The Last Stand is the greatest, but uh, that's yeah. Another. <laughs> well,
1: we'll, we'll we'll talk. We'll talk about that soon. Johnny
0: Knoxville like Trumps. Oh, all that Korean. I'm, yeah, oh I'm not coming down on Johnny Knoxville, but uh, we, we're obviously talking about his US debut, Kim ji won and uh, I'm sure there's been going to be mentions of it. Um, uh, let's just tease the audiences again. Same question as in regards to Simon Sheen's work. Did you watch this, The Last Stand?
1: Yes, I did. Do I have to talk
0: about it? Well, we'll mention it because it's part of the biography.
1: I absolutely abhorred it.
0: It's all it's Arnold, though. It, it wasn't good Arnold.
1: No, it's awful Arnold. Uh you know, if you take Terminator Arnold Arnold, if you take any Arnold apart from Kendrick Harden Cup, I actually quite like. He does what he does well, but the last stand is just terrible. It's so forced, it's so bland. It's got that thing where half an hour before something happens, they tell you something's going to happen.
0: Hope the bad guys aren't going to come.
1: Mmm. Drove me nuts. Yeah. It's just, it's just terrible.
0: Right on. <laughs> we'll, we'll get a mention in it uh, during the Kim Ji-Woon bio next episode. So, uh, you know, prepare to rant a little bit more, but uh, consider that your, uh, tease for next week's episode, listeners. But in the meantime, this has been What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are on PodcastOnFire.com along with bonus episodes and shows on a variety of uh, countries' uh, cinema. Uh, Hong Kong, Japan, and Korea, as you've heard. Sleazy, Ninja, and uh, all of that good stuff. Make your selection and uh, email us if you have any questions or feedback. PodcastOnFire at googlemail.com. Follow the handy buttons at the top of our website to our Facebook, our Twitter, our iTunes, which you can subscribe, you can rate, you can leave a comment on our feed as well. And uh, you also find a button to Stitcher Radio where you can stream us either via their website or through the application available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. I write about Hong Kong movies and uh, a variety of genres uh, from Taiwan every now and again at SoGoodReviews.com and I do video reviews at SleazyKVideo.com and I spout some nonsense on Twitter and uh, my handle is at SoGoodReviews. And over to you Paul. Plug away.
1: Uh, As we've said, I'm Paul. I run HangulCelluloid.com. I'm Focused on Korean film, Korean film, Korean film, and Korean film. Pop over to the site, have a little look around at some Korean film reviews. There are interviews on there. Um, And if any of you are interested in my recent trip to Korea, I did a sort of a day-by-day travelogue, if you like. Um, If you click the Korea Joa link on the homepage, it'll take you to nine or ten articles. And they've all got little
0: videos in there. And that was just our one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm excited, I'm excited. excited. Ten articles, I'm still excited.
1: You know, i got them all finished. There's there's my visit to the opening night of the Busan Film Festival. I went to the Korean Film Archive and did a little film, just walking around the museum. Check it out. I think they came out quite well.
0: Right on. We'll link to the appropriate section on all sections on your website so people can see it. But in the meantime... We are, like, to give you a little behind-the-scenes info, we are just taking a short break, but this is one episode done. Next week, you'll hear another episode, and me and Paul are going to resume in 10 or 15 minutes or so. This is uh, how we do it, uh, listeners. But thank you very much, regardless, for listening to the discussion and review of Thousand Years Old Fox. And uh, I've been of be with me was Paul Quinn, so say bye, buddy.
1: See you later, guys.